Okay, so it's 4.01. It's Wednesday, December the 16th. December 16th. It's Wednesday, December the 6th, 2023. This is the Facilities and Transportation Committee meeting for the city of San Leandro. Um, would you please call the roll? Vice Mayor Sabetha. Council Member Simon. Here. Mayor Gonzalez. Present. Uh, so at this point in time, I think uh, Council Member Simon has an announcement. Yes, uh, I need to attend this meeting remotely for AB 2449. Uh, for just cause, I have a case that I have to provide caregiving for my parent, and I'd like to request remote attendance for AB 2449 just cause. At this point in time, we will take your request, and I'm going to ask uh, Vice Mayor if he's willing to make a motion. Yes, I'll make a motion. I will second that motion. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, let's vote. If you could just vote verbally. Council Member, uh, Vice Mayor. Aye. Aye. I vote aye as well. So the motion carries. So yes, you may participate under that, that exemption. At this point in time, I will have our clerk for the meeting read our announcement. After each agenda item is presented, the mayor will ask for committee member comments and then take public comment. If you'd like to speak in public comment, please fill out a speaker card and hand it to the administrative assistant. If you're in Zoom, just raise your hand. You will have two minutes for your comments. A countdown timer will appear for the convenience of the speaker and viewers. Okay, so at this point in time, we're gonna to move to agenda item number two, public comment. Do we have any public comment? And this is public comment on items that are not on our agenda. No public comment. So I'll close public comment and move on to our discussion items. So if we could go to 3A first. Here we're going to have Public Works uh, Director Sheila Marquises present an item on pavement management information. I think number one in a series of installments. Good afternoon, Mayor, Council Members, um, staff, and members of the public. My name is Sheila Marquises, Public Works Director. Um, so. Yes, we have a series of informational um, information on pavement management for you. We've been looking for methods and how to best share this information with council and the public on our pavement management program. Um, and I think we've settled on uh, an approach. So there have been several websites that um, we found that's available to elected officials, but I was some, looking for something a little bit more customized to our city. So in, also in the past, we've created videos and flyers uh, to share that information with the public, but has not had the community pen penetration um, that we'd like. Um, so I'd like to try out a different approach. Um, Sure. 
You hear me okay? Okay. But it's okay to proceed. So the approach I'd like to try out is to share our story um, uh, that's unique to San Leandro and perhaps an analogy, which I'll attempt a little bit later, a few slides down. Um, stories are remembered up to 22 times more than facts alone. So this is our, the reason why I'd like to attempt to share our story. So today I'd like to begin to share our story for our payment management, um, starting with the history. So we have a long history for the city of San Leandro, so we're gonna break it up into three short stories. Starting with the history and focusing on the challenges that um, from when we were incorporated and then the challenges that we face today followed by funding and design. So for that session in January, we'll dive into about the funding needs and the, our past practices on how we funded our payment projects. Then we'll talk about design and how we select which roads and which payment methods for each road segment. And last is about construction and maintenance. So we'll touch on what the public can usually expect to see during construction. We get a lot of questions asking, are you done yet? Are you, is that how you're leaving it? Um, or the questions are, you put up the no parking signs, but I don't see any work. So we'll talk, we'll dive into those details so that we'll all be able to answer those questions confidently. So you don't always have to uh, send it to us. Um, and then lastly, uh, the different ways we maintain those assets. So you may have questions later and we'll, we'll do our best to either say, oh, we're going to cover that in the next uh, session or the um, pavement 103 as well. So the analogy I wanted to present and propose to think about is how uh, about our pavement is like the skin of our city. It's um, the skin is a, the largest organ in our body um, and it's a protective barrier for our vital organs. And for our city, the vital organs are underneath the pavement, which is our storm drains, our sewer system, water, electrical, fiber optic, communication lines, the gas lines. And note that when we're, we're born, we have a nice, soft, supple skin, um, like a baby's feet. Um, and it's up to us to maintain and preserve our skin for longevity because we only get one set. We don't regenerate our skin. So we're just simply trying to slow down deterior deterioration. We also have to make sure our internal organs are healthy because they too affect our skin. What we consume, um, what we drink, what we eat affects our how we look on the surface. So I'll be handing off the presentation shortly to Erwin, our acting city engineer, where he'll talk about the pavement condition index in comparison to other cities in the county, uh, we, which we do often get compared to other cities. So. Why is this city's pavement much better than ours? So um, Mayor Gonzalez, you asked for assistance with what and how to ask for our fair share for funding at the county level. And I think our request for funding will be much stronger when we're able to strongly 
communicate um, our whys, which is our needs and our challenges. With that, I'll hand it off to Herbert. Good afternoon, Mayor, committee members, committee staff, and the public. Um, in, in this uh, table here uh, lists the 14 cities in Alameda County. And uh, uh, I wanted to uh, bring up that age does matter in this case, um, but it's not the only factor that determines the payment condition. Uh, the youngest city uh, in Alameda County is the city of Dublin, uh, which is only about 41 years old, and uh, it shows the highest PCI index. Um, San Leandro, uh, second from the bottom, is about 151 years old. That's, uh, and we have a, a PCI um, from 2021 at 55. As mentioned, uh, it's, uh, the age of the city, although it's an advantage, is not the only factor that impacts pavement condition. Uh, in this map, uh, you will notice uh, the different colors represent the pavement condition index uh, around town. And uh, the streets that are in red uh, are streets that have, fa uh, have failed and are in very poor condition. Uh, the, the streets with uh, in orange are streets in poor condition. Uh, yellow uh, will be streets in good condition. And uh, green uh, will be uh, very good condition streets. And blue are basically the new streets. So when the payment condition index is categorized per road classification, uh, you will notice that uh, 58 or about 60% of the street network are residential street. Uh, the residential streets are also uh, where you will find the, the, the most uh, streets that are very poor and in failed condition. Uh, the total uh, very poor and failed condition uh, in, for in the resident in the residential streets is about 87 lane miles, and that's about 39% uh, of all residential streets. Looking at uh, the overall picture and considering all road classifications, uh, about 97 lane miles are in very poor and failed condition, and that's about 25% of the entire network. So a typical road section uh, looks like this. Uh, the top layer would be an asphalt layer uh, and followed by an aggregate base, which, is, which are uh, rocks, and then uh, the subgrade, which is the native soil. So what threatens our pavement? Um, there are, th uh, I can name a few factors, uh, but we will focus on water and traffic. Uh, the, the few factors that uh, threatens our pavement uh, are, as mentioned, water, traffic, and the environment. So the environment, um, as uh, the, the street ages, and then as we get cold and, and hot weather. Um, next, next slide, please. Uh, the, the cold uh, contracts and uh, the heat expands the asphalt, creating cracks. And the cracks 
are, are means for the water to seep into uh, the pavement. And water is the natural enemy of pavements. So as the water seeps into the streets, uh, it weakens the street structure. Uh, the subgrade now does not provide a, a good foundation for the street. Um, in, uh, also, the water funding over asphalt uh, breaks, the water breaks down the bond between the asphalt binder and the aggregates, uh, creating potholes. And for context, uh, historically, the, the recent winter storm that we had uh, was actually the second wettest uh, 21 day period uh, from 1849 to 2023. It's also the fifth wettest uh, first halves of the rainfall season. So that, that could be the reason and is the reason why we noticed a lot of potholes after the last winter storm. So water not only will come from rain from above, uh, but will also uh, come from bottom, which is uh, an, uh, a situation, a condition uh, that you will find here in San Leandro being next to the bay. So we do have shallow groundwater. Uh, and this map shows the locations where we have uh, really shallow water and where areas where uh, groundwater actually uh, emerges into the surface. The dark orange shows the areas where you have groundwater as shallow as zero to three feet. The purple, air, purple areas uh, just uh, south of the Estudio Canal shows that uh, groundwater actually emerges in, uh, to the surface. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council, or Vice Mayor. Uh, I'm Nick Tom, Assistant Public Works Director. I will be taking on the next few slides. So, as Erwin is talking about the uh, dangers to uh, asphalt, we'll continue on that theme. Uh, asphalt is a flexible pavement. It needs a firm base in order to be uh, stable and in order to stay um, in order to stay in one piece. Uh, anything that allows water in is going to allow the subgrade to get soft and will lead to deterioration of the pavement. Uh, when we have vehicle loads on the pavement, at that uh, vehicle loads can damage the pavement just by virtue of wear and tear. If there's soft subgrade, then that wear and tear is accelerated. The heavier the vehicle, the more uh, quickly it will damage pavement. In San Leandro, we have a fairly dense network of truck routes, and all the streets on these truck routes are either subject to reduced life or will require uh, thicker pavement sections to have an equivalent life. For comparison, our city to the south, our neighbor to the south, Hayward, has a truck route map that is much less dense. Um, this affords Hayward the chance to spend less on uh, truck route paving and more money on other paved streets. One, please. The trucks, of course, are uh, headed to our commercial zones. We are very proud of our industrial areas. They um, have long been an important part of our community. 
but um, you can see here that the western half of the city does have the does have a lot of industrial areas, and those areas uh, have more truck traffic, and also will require more money for pavement maintenance. A recent phenomenon is uh, navigation apps that direct drivers off of the freeway or off of congested routes and onto streets that were perhaps not designed for the higher traffic load. Uh, when a street sees more traffic than it was designed for, we are gonna see a reduced lifespan and navigation apps have led to uh, increases not just in uh, not just in unwanted traffic, but also in pavement wear and tear. <clears throat> One of our uh, longstanding challenges with pavement in San Leandro is that the, when the streets were originally constructed in the areas that were county maintained, they were not constructed to city standards. For example, uh, Washington Manor was uh, constructed as a neighborhood in unincorporated county and then later annexed into San Leandro. All the neighborhoods south of Washington Manor have similar um, similar pavement um, neighborhoods, any, anything outside of the core. So uh, neighborhoods to the west side of the city uh, were all first constructed as county and then uh, uh, annexed by the city. And uh, as we've repaved those roads, we've improved their section, made the, the, the structural section thicker so that they last longer and that we can maintain them at less cost. But there are still original roads, or there are still roads that need to be upgraded for their structural section. <clears throat> Another uh, factor that impacts our paving work is the depth of utilities in the streets. When I talk about improving the structural section on these roads that were originally built in the county, uh, what that means is building a thicker road section. One challenge to building a thicker road section is shallow utilities. Even if the utility is uh, 12 inches down or 18 inches down, and we don't physically have a conflict, when we work that close to the utility, the pipes are old and can start to leak. You can see the example here, we have a, a spraying water line. This is not terribly frequent on our projects, but we do put a lot of effort into avoiding getting close to utilities, and it does uh, limit our options when it comes to uh, repaving streets. A long-standing uh, a long-standing topic of research in the industry is the impact of street cuts on pavement. Uh, when you cut the pavement, you uh, create a source of discontinuity. Pavement uh, before the cut is one solid piece and it can share the load, if you will. Once we have a cut and uh, replace it with a patch, the cut section no longer shares the road with the adjacent pavement. And it, even if it's the same thickness, the paved joint is a source of weakness. And as it starts to move, then we get water in the street and then we get soft subgrade and we start to see deterioration. And that um, generally concludes our presentation on history. Again, kind of looking ahead, we 
decided to break our short stories um, to today, just talking about how we, how our conditions are today. And then in January, we want to dive deeper into funding and design. And then in February, talk about construction methods and maintenance. So um, at this point, uh, open it up for questions. Yes, ma'am. Thank you all for the presentation. I have a couple of questions. The first one is, <clears throat> excuse me, when they cut a hole and they patch it, do they put, what do they put on top of it before they put the road? Is are those plates or is that what they put and they just cover those or how do they cover those roads with the big holes? Uh, yes, commonly we'll put a steel plate over an open excavation and allow traffic to ride over that plate. Sometimes we'll put a steel plate when we've uh, poured a new manhole collar and we're waiting for the concrete to cure, but we want to put traffic on it. Okay, so when you refill them, you put concrete in there and then you put the road back over it and you take out the plates because the plates are temporary, right? The plates are temporary. Um, if it's a utility excavation without a manhole, there won't be concrete. It'll just be uh, aggregate base and then... Uh, asphalt pavement. If there's a manhole, then of course we do the concrete rings yeah, to well, secure the manhole in place. And that concrete requires plates. My other question is I've asked before, are, have we looked into different material used for the roads like they're using in other states or other cities? We uh, do watch what other cities are doing in, in other states. Um, and However, the Bay Area does not have an economical alternative at this time um not for the not for the asphalt pavement um we are looking at we have done for the past several years used uh cement to treat our base to allow us to have a shallower structural section with the same strength um as i've mentioned it before uh, the material that we use now obviously it doesn't last long sometimes because folks are getting the same potholes over and over in their front yards so it's and i i have heard that and i agree that that is a problem that is can be greatly helped by having a stronger base or a or, or a deeper structural section to create that strength uh, yeah. either through the deeper section or through cement can create the, the yeah i know all the roads are different like on washington avenue i think it had like a train track so now it's like big like upside down you the way it is and some people when they park on there, their cars like almost sideways so yeah well that's another challenge that we face is this sort of old construction style where they have these parabolic sections and very steep drop-offs near the curb um that was fine for the time but now we have cars that we want to park there and the car doors will hit the, the curb sometimes. Or if you put a bike lane there, it's very steep for the bike. Or if you have a crosswalk, it's very steep for the pedestrians. And, and rectifying those uh, those cross sections takes quite a bit of, uh, of money. Okay, that's all my comment and questions. Thank you. Council Member Simon. Can't see if you've got your hand up. If uh, you typically have some questions, so just in case, I'll start with you next. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation, and I like the way you're breaking it up into different sections, so we can really get into a lot of the detail. So thank you. Um, question: As far as the 
pavement is, is sounds like it's worse than the unincorporated, previous unincorporated, which is the manor, as opposed to the rest of the city. Can you describe the difference in the section? How is it worse? So uh, each street is different and we've done a lot of paving in the manor, but uh, and, the, and the streets that we've paid have modern structural sections that are as strong as the ones you'll see in the rest of the city. Some of the older streets in the manor that we haven't paved in the last 20, 30 years have a shallow section. So it, and it varies from street to street. It, it could be um, four inches of asphalt on top of maybe four inches of rock um, for an eight inch total section thickness. Typically now we're doing streets with, for a residential street, we'd like to see 12 inches section thickness. Okay, got it. That's, that's quite a difference, eight inches versus 12 inches. That's like a third, a third less. Okay, and then the shallow groundwater you were referring to, I take it this is this is fresh water. Is there any salt water or what, what kind of water is this? So the groundwater is impacted by the tides, but uh, fresh water is lighter than salt water. So the salt water travels underneath the fresh water and pushes up fresh water. Um, regardless, the danger is that this, the water saturates our subgrade, makes it soft, and then the subgrade yields when there's traffic loads over the pavement. This um, is helped by having a stronger structural section. The rock that we use is better than the clay that you'll find underneath it. Um, it's also helped by using cement to treat the base, which we do on a lot of our roads. Um, and this is going to be more of an issue as sea level rise uh, occurs. As the sea level rises, the salt water will push more fresh water up, and you'll have this this map that was in the presentation with the groundwater, shallow groundwater areas, will show more and more areas with shallow groundwater uh, in the next 50, 100 years. Um, for that reason, we would like to start thinking about strengthening our structural sections of these roads in these areas that will be impacted. Of course, there's a cost with that. So if we're 12 inches now for your new design to deal with the sea level rise, what size section would you be recommending for the future? Um, I don't have that recommendation, but conceptually it, it could be, uh, I'd really like to use cement in the base to, to make it more cohesive. Um, but uh, I mean, sticking with the same section and using cement would be my first uh, suggestion, and we could do some analysis on that before we start uh, building these stronger sections. Have you started using that concept, cement in your base? And some we of the do use cement areas? in the base. Um, probably on 50% of our reconstructions, maybe even 70% of our reconstructions. Uh, it's been a, a tool that we've gradually increased since over the last 10 years. And we've been very happy with it. Um, so yes, we are using that. Okay. And what what type of cost increase is that for using the cement as opposed to not? 
There's a couple of different situations where we use cement. The situation that you're asking about is if we were to build or reconstruct a road um, with a 12-inch section with cement or with a 12-inch section without cement. Uh, in that situation, I think we're talking about 10% more. Okay. Yeah, that does. 10 that's to 15% more costs to add the cement. Yeah, it seems like a good investment. That's a good concept, good investment. And my next question is, so this groundwater, looking at your map, looks like it's along the canal, as you mentioned. And I know flood control has issues with deficiency in this canal and capacity. Will this help our, our uh, have we used this, presented this information to the county on their deficient canal and how it can be impacting our roads? I'm not sure that there's a direct tie between the groundwater and the canal. Certainly, we've talked with the county about the canal and the ability for the canal to um, transfer flows during the 100-year uh, flood event and the impact it has on our neighborhoods for uh, flood insurance. Um, I, we, we can bring it up with them. And, and yeah, I'm thinking wintertime when that canal is running full, I could see it charging the ground adjacent to it. I don't think that canal is watertight. So charging the ground and looking at your map, there's some pretty heavy, dark orange spots along that canal. So I'd like to see if we can include discussions with the county as another reason to get that canal canal fixed. We at least consider it. And then another question is on the truck routes. Uh, Hayward is a, has a much less dense truck route, as you mentioned. And I see they have a local truck route versus a through truck route. And we don't have that. Do you know why we don't have local versus through? I believe we do have, we do uh, specify some routes as through and some routes as local. Um, I'm not sure if it shows up on this graphic, but on the, the official truck route map that's in our general plan and that we hand out to the uh, contractors and uh, I guess trucking companies does differentiate. Okay. And why, why are we so much dense than Hayward? Hayward has industrial too, I take it. They do. I can't speak to how Hayward does their business. Um, I mean, San Leandro, this has been the historic truck route. I uh, don't know firsthand why we did it, but I assume it was to encourage business, to uh, make it easy for businesses to be here, and also so that we can serve the public. I mean, these truck routes also extend to uh, neighborhood shopping centers such as Manor Farnsworth. Okay. And my last question, I understand some utilities like Oraloma, they've got, well, many utilities have manholes and we have a requirement to put a concrete ring around the manhole or something like that. Uh, can you explain what that's about and how does that help our, our pavement program? Um, sure. The, the concrete manhole is not the concrete ring around the manhole is not directly related to our program. I mean, it's it's a good construction practice for building manholes. Um, the The manhole is concrete. The last lift of the manhole contains the ring for the lid, 
Uh, we want to anchor that that ring in place, and we uh, have a concrete band that we place around it to uh, keep it there. Um, in some locations, in some cities, that that concrete band that I'm talking about is depressed, and then they run asphalt over it. Um, but however, it's still there. That concrete band is necessary to keep the manhole together. Um, in the cities where they depress the concrete and they run the AC over, there is a risk. And what we've seen in San Leandro in the past is that that, con that AC is um, more frequently pops off of there. It, it'll crack and, and flake off because it's thin. It's over concrete, whereas the AC next to it is over uh, the road section of rock and native. And they one's very rigid, the other flexes a little, and they form a crack, and then it pops off. And it, if you drive around town, uh, I don't think I can't think of any locations currently that have uh, this old style. But um, there used to be some on East 14th Street before they paved it, that where you could drive down East 14th Street and you could see that they, the asphalt was popping off around the con around the manhole. So our detail with the manhole flush with the pavement prevents that from happening. Okay. Great, thank you. Nice presentation, a lot of detail. Thank you. Okay, so on, on my side, thank you again. I really like the style, I like the approach. I love the analogies for singing my song. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'd like to kind of flip through this a little bit. Um, and, and, trying to very quickly get a sense of does does age really matter or is it really some of these other more geological materials related factors and, and, and just as you were pointing out numbers i just looked to livermore and hayward which are quite old cities and their their, their pcis are relatively high is, is age really that big a deal or should i focus my time and energy on other things Whoever wants to answer this, I'll start with you, Director. So um, we did notice that, and what we and we can definitely look at other the other cities and look at their their challenges if it's similar to what we're experiencing, and perhaps their funding practices in the past, their decisions, and how they've preserved their skin, right? Because we all start, you know, with the same type of pavement, and then again, it's how you preserve and slow down the deterioration. Um, so hard to say whether the threats to our system is similar to as Hayward's. As you can see, we looked at their truck route map, and so their threats for, the, for trucks is slightly different than ours. But we didn't go into detail yet of, you know, the groundwater, um, what, um, what are their utilities looking like? Um, so... It's hard to say if it if it is age, but it could be just our you know payment management practices. Um, going to page six, that's six. Um, super appreciative of Lane Miles. I think we're really getting into like something that we can begin to understand. I do have a question. Do we ha is it is it a stylized concept of Lane Miles? And I say that in the following way. Some of our roads are quite narrow. And in that road, I can barely fit four cars across. Two parked, one on either side, one coming, one going. And if I'm really careful, I won't hit mirrors. Others, there are four lanes, and it's 
probably could fit six cars. Uh, so I'm trying to understand when we think of a lane, how, how are we defining that? These are travel lanes. So both roads that you described would be counted as, uh, for, a, for a mile length, each of those would be two lane miles. Lane miles, okay. Um, staying on that same concept, if I look at something like Bancroft Avenue, would we consider that a, a three-lane mile road? And I, and I really bring that up in the context that it used to be four lanes that we cut down into one coming, one going, one turning. Uh, would we label that as three-lane miles for per mile? No, we would not. It's travel through travel lanes. So Bancroft is two lane miles per mile. Mm -hmm. So food for thought there, just as we try to manage the cost and the cost expectations, uh, that's a road that used to be four lane miles per mile, and it has become two. And as we talk about road dieting, um, some of the pavement still needs to be maintained for bicycle purposes or other purposes. So just if, if we can keep that in mind as we work through this. Um, let's go to pavement. Oh, one other thought on, on this. When MTC or whomever comes up with our San Leandro is a 55 or a 57, are they using a weighted average? Is that how they come up with their number? So we've got 21% is at 67 PCI. And 21% of our road lane miles, I guess that's lane miles or network, it'd be lane miles. 21% of our lane miles is a PCI of 62. And then we've got 58% of our lane miles are at 44. Is it approximately a weighted average of those? I didn't, I didn't do the math. I'm just curious if you would happen to know. Uh, our, all the PCI calculations are based on area. So square foot, actually, uh, we take each square foot of pavement, multiply it by the PCI and then add up all those totals and divide that by the total area. And that's our average PCI. Okay. And so just in that spirit, going back to. Bancroft Avenue, as an example, it is a it has a lot of square feet, but we're only treating it as two lane miles. So, in terms of impacting my PCI, just per lane mile, I'm better off. Might be more expensive, but I'm better off repaving Bancroft Avenue vis-a-vis -vis another road that's much more narrow but still has two lane miles it would have a bigger impact on pci yes and whether we want to do that or not it's a whole nother question but just i'm trying to understand the, the how the math works um let's talk a little bit about uh, pavement layers um i suspect and kind of going to vice mayor's question that there are different types of asphalt it can have bigger, I don't know what the term of art is, chunks, rocks, uh, gravel, uh, can be chips maybe. Uh, they can be bigger, smaller, can have more sand, et cetera. So I assume that asphalt is not 
it's a concept, it's a category, but it's not one uniform thing. So when we think about alternative types of asphalt, I think I know some are better suited for cold weather and others for rainy weather and others for hot weather within margin, right? I mean, everything it's, it's still a category as opposed to concrete, let's say. Do we evaluate alternative asphalt formulations, perhaps it's the right word, right description? We consider other formulations, but in the Bay Area, the formula, the formula is, has been set for a long time. Uh, there are different grades of oil that are primarily uh, switched out to adjust for temperature. In the Bay Area, our temperature is very mild. We don't have high, very high, high temperatures or very low, low temperatures. We use the same paving oil. Well, they changed the, the, the formulation about mm, 10 years ago, uh, maybe 15, but it, we've used the same paving oil uh, since, since that time. Um, for rocks and sand, the Bay Area, Everybody in the Bay Area uses what's available locally. We're not going to import sand from Arizona or anything like that. It would be prohibitively expensive. Uh, the mix of sand and rock is uh, something that has been tested in laboratories, was tested in laboratories a long time ago. We've been using the same mix since then. There are different aggregate sizes, as you mentioned. Uh, Three-quarter inch is very common. Uh, in San Leandro, that's our primary mix. Half-inch rock is used in some locations. If we were to do a trail, like in a park, uh, a walking trail, we might use a half-inch mix. It yields a smoother surface, a little bit less durability. Uh, at the Oakland Airport, they might use like an, a one-inch mix, but it, the range is fairly small. The three-quarters is where we uh, typically specify our product. And following up on uh, Councilmember Simon's questions regarding the relative thickness, um, would we say that today in 2023, the standard should be 12 inches? Any, any new construction that we do is 12 inches, or would we say even more than that? Uh, cities usually have standards for uh, new construction, like new neighborhoods. Um, for our new neighborhoods, we have a we have a different standard for each classification. I think we do six on six for residential. You can follow up. So so the standard is for residential, yes. Six inches AC on six inches rock. Um, now, of course, if you're going to build a new neighborhood of any significance, we would ask you to uh, do your own pavement design and show us that it, the durability is going to be there. That's just a standard that we would use um, I don't know, for, for a very small project where it wouldn't warrant getting in a pavement designer. I see council member Simon has his hand up. I'm going to ask one more question, then I'm going to go to him. Um, when they repaved East, well, I saw it on Davis in particular. So when they were repaving Davis, maybe probably East 14th too, they were digging out I'm going to guess maybe three inches. They were going down a, a meaningful amount. And they were then laying what appeared to be a polymer lining. 
I'm going to guess. I don't know that, but it just looked like rolled plastic that they were laying out. Um, I'm curious if that is a new and novel technique. Is that something that we're familiar with? Is it just for state highways? Like, any, any insight on that would be appreciated. Sure. Uh, Caltrans put down a paving fabric. Paving fabric has paving fabric in the pavement section has two general uh, properties. It can be used to uh, stop crack propagation. So Caltrans milled off three inches of pavement and put back three inches of pavement. They, the, the, the remaining pavement that they did not touch perhaps already has cracks in it. If you don't want those cracks to propagate up through your new pavement, you would put down a fabric to stop crack propagation. Another use for fabric in the pavement is to provide tension, uh, tension reinforcement, like rebar and concrete. Uh, the asphalt pavement that we put down is flexible and is fairly strong in compression, but has very little tension capacity. So when our subgrade gets soft for whatever reason and flexes, the crack will propagate from the bottom of the AC upward because that's, that's the section that's in tension. If we put this fabric in there, it can uh, provide tension reinforcement and make the pavement stronger. Thank you. Councilmember Simon, please. Thank you. Two, two follow-up questions. One is, this is similar to Councilmember Azevedo's question about different roadway materials, but in other states, I've seen concrete used, just regular concrete on streets, sometimes on freeways too. Why is concrete, which is, seems to last a very long time, not used here? Concrete does last a very long time. Uh, concrete is very expensive to put in. It is slow to put in. It has to cure for several days without traffic on it. When we do our concrete manhole rings, they're small enough that we can put a plate over it. If we were to pave a whole street, that street would need to be closed for that entire time. Um, but it is very durable. I would say that in our area, cost is the reason we haven't done it. You do see concrete on areas that are high wear, like a freeway, or areas that are high, um, have high environmental wear and tear. Highway 80 to, to uh, Tahoe gets a lot of freeze and thaw, and they use the concrete there. Um, but in our, in our experience, it's more expensive than the the cost outweighs the benefits. Okay, have we have we done like a cost benefit analysis looking at long term? Is I mean short term, yeah, it's more expensive. But if we have to keep repaving, resealing, because you have to reseal like every five or six years, I take it to to keep the pavement actually healthy, which we probably haven't done in the past. But my understanding is that what we should be doing. I guess that's a two-part question. Are we doing resealing every five years to keep our new pavement healthy? And second is, have we really analyzed the true cost of concrete versus repaving things over several times? Uh, the optimum resealing interval uh, depends on the pavement and the environment and the loads on the pavement. Um, in San Leandro, as a rule of thumb, the seven years, is a good resealing interval. 
Um, we rarely reseal at seven years. We typically push that till 10, maybe 12 years. Um, on the, and that's, that's due to budget. We have more streets that need ceiling than we have budget for ceiling. Um, on the question of evaluations or uh, analysis of long-term concrete, we have not done that analysis recently. Costs obviously change over time. We'd be happy to do that again. Thank you. I'd be interested in that since we're putting so much money into this pavement. And what's really concerning is that we're not resealing our new pavement jobs at the recommended interval. So we're putting a lot of money into something and we're not maintaining it, which falls apart. And then we have to totally redo it again. So there would be, a, I know of course it's money, why we're not doing it, but if we don't do it, it costs us even more money. So those are two really big topics I'd like to follow up on at some point. Thank you. And to run with, did you have something? Okay, and to run with that just a little bit more it would be useful to us, I think, to hear if we followed that five-year rule and we took those roads that needed to be maintained. And for this set of roads, maybe it's 20% of the roads, we're going to start applying that rule. What would that cost us? Just kind of So maybe we can't fix everything, but for a certain set of rules, we're going to maintain them according to best practice. And let's let's set aside budget for that or let's make an investment for that. Just if, if, if you could do that, I think that would be very useful. And then just a quick follow-up on, on, on as on asphalt versus concrete, concrete, very expensive. Can you might have said it and I just missed it. 20% more, 50% more, hundred percent more. Uh, I don't have that number, but let me see. Maybe I do have that number. We put in concrete on sidewalks at $20 a square foot. Um, we put in AC on a mill and fill at $70 per square yard. So 70 divided by nine. Of course, that's $70. That's all in. That's our cost, including doing the ramps, doing the striping. Um, but even so, $70 a square yard is uh, less than $8 a square foot. And versus twenty dollars a square foot for concrete, two and a half x. Okay. If if we could, uh, I guess I do want to follow up. I've, I've been asking. I'm curious about our Miller. I know that a number of years ago, five, ten, maybe it's twenty five. It was a really. It, it was announced at a lot of fanfare that for small jobs, that we were able to do that work ourselves. And I see locations. Uh, one of my favorite locations is Callan Street, leaving Bancroft Middle School, coming to the library. There's like this really long strip of deteriorated asphalt. And I think, wow, what a great place to just run a machine in a straight line and then lay some stuff in. And no twisty turns, nothing complicated. Uh, do we still have that machine? How often do we use it? If we don't use it 24-7, why not? And you know, just give me like the... A, a two-minute tutorial on the, the machine of much fanfare. I have a second to pull up some data. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, what did I title that email? Just a little bit of background. Um, our paving team um, is under our streets. Um, under under public works, we have a division of maintenance, and under maintenance, we have groups, a traffic group, a fleet maintenance group, and a streets group. And within that streets group, we have a paving team and a street services team. Under that paving team is a group that operates this Miller. I'm ready. So uh, in fiscal year 22, which is the last complete fiscal year we have, um, the Public Works paving crew paved uh, 4.8 lane miles. However, I want to point out that those are, are not travel lane miles, those are actual lanes, as in 13 feet wide. Um, so not quite the same metric that we were talking about earlier. Uh, to pave those uh, 4.85 lane miles, the crew spent 103 days in total, 103 work days. The uh, work involves uh, milling the street, off-hauling the milled material, hauling in asphalt, uh, compacting the base and then compacting the new asphalt on top of that. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. So um, we, that crew also uh, spends time working on pothole repairs and uh, dig outs, which it sounds like we need on Callan. A dig out is when we don't pave the whole street, but there's a, a strip that needs to get paved. Um, the dig outs and pothole repairs are not on those 103 days. That's on the remaining days of the year. The other uh, 140 days of the year, they're doing uh, uh, dig outs, uh, pothole repair. Yeah, that crew also does uh, sidewalk repair um, in terms of grinding sidewalk offsets uh, or patching sidewalks that need to be that need to be replaced so that the trip hazard is minimized until they do get replaced. They also do um, storm drain cleaning. Um, I think those are the highlights. So I think spending a little bit more time with a little more preparation, obviously I've put you on the spot and sorry for that. But I think just this concept of how we're, what we have insourced versus what we have outsourced and kind of maybe comparing those and uh, we talk about work days is that a crew of four people so it's really <clears throat> you know, like people days would be 400 people days or beginning to, to, to uh, get a little bit more detail and granularity then enables us to do some comparisons and you know we've been talking about metrics and that's all very useful council member simon i think you had a question was that were you just not muted I wasn't muted. Sorry about that. No worries. And then I just I think I have two more questions and we can move on from this item. Uh, I guess we can also take public comment if anybody has comment. Uh, groundwater. Groundwater and destructive 
testing, I think are the, the two things that I kind of want to ex explore just quickly. Um, is our approach to rebuilding streets, as I saw from the map, I think that we had done a rebuild in front of Garfield Elementary on Aurora. I think it used to be red and I think now it's green, but I could be wrong. Um, are, are we changing? Is that where you're talking about? We're changing the, the base, the right term of art, the aggregate by, by infusing it with concrete um, where the groundwater is shallow or what's, what's our treatment technique? A lot of questions bundled into one, but I'll let you run with whoever wants to run with it. Just like, how are we responding? So Aurora in front of Garfield did not go as planned. Um, we did not plan to do a cement-treated base there. We planned to come in and do a mill and fill, which is very similar to what Caltrans did on East 14th Street. Um, we did some testing before the project began. We uh, believed that the subgrade was dry, had a low moisture content, and was going to support the loads of the equipment. However, when we got out there, we were unpleasantly surprised. And we, at that point, had to uh, thicken the structural section with the materials we had on hand. So we uh, put in an extra thick AC section. We did not have a cement truck uh, available. We did not have, we weren't prepped. We hadn't looked at utility depths. Cement, cement mixed uh, base requires going deeper. You have to see if your utilities are gonna be in conflict. Um, so the structural section is much better than it was, but it is not ultimately our preferred structural section. Okay. More generally, if you don't mind, just where you've got all this shallow water, because it sounds like that was indicative or consistent with some of the challenges that you have in that, uh, in the district six there in particular. Mm -hmm. for, for reconstruction streets that we plan to go in and reconstruct, we do look to cement treated base first. Um, if, if the utilities permit or if there's time to get the utilities moved, then we'll go that way. If uh, sometimes there's there's uh, conflicts that require that prohibit using the cement treated base. Okay, and then the last question that I'll ask, because um, I know we have other things to cover, but roads are by far the single most expensive asset that we have, if I'm not mistaken, in the entire city. The skin is, I mean, significantly expensive. And so just how we think about how we manage the risks associated with that and then the rejuvenation of our skin. Um, destructive testing, and probably the right term is core drilling. So are we doing some core drilling into our various roads to understand this, this the water profile, the water impact, the what's actually down there, what we think is there versus what's actually there. I know there are risks with hitting utilities and all, you know, I know there's a lot of complexity, but I'm kind of wondering what are we doing? And you can describe the constraints that we face as we do that. So we do uh, different uh, investigations on each street. Um, but yes, core drilling is part of our repertoire. We uh, will take samples of the subgrade to determine the moisture content, to determine its bearing capacity. Um, 
to also determine what section we have out there currently. Um, we do not dig to the water table. Uh, we have not, you know, the high water table manifests itself in this soft, moist subgrade. Um, and I don't know that the actual depth to the water table that I don't have, a, I've never heard of considering that when you do your design, it's really the, the moisture content of the subgrade. What I expect is going to happen with sea level rise is that we're going to see higher moisture contents in more neighborhoods. And to prepare for that, what we should be doing is thinking about the cement treated base. It's my recommendation. We can, I don't know what other cities are doing. We can certainly talk to them and see if they have a, another idea. Okay. So then um, to that vein, again, going back to the entire purpose of all of this is when we go to Department of Transportation, when we go to ACTC, when we go in and look for support from our residents or from other agencies, it's where do we as a coastal city think that for purposes of sustainability, of planning for the future, where do we think that we need to be making investments? And so, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't hold back, <laughs> say what you need, and then let us go and argue and pound the table and ask for as much as possible. And, you know, we'll, we'll get as much as we can get, but if we don't know, we can't ask. So that's just our encouragement. So with that, uh, if we could move to our next, oh, we, public comment. Is there any public comment on this item? Sorry. No public comment. So I'll close public comment and move to the next item, please. I think that is item 3B, if I remember correctly. And we've got uh, Acting City Engineer Jing, who's going to introduce the item. Thank you, Mayor. Um, good afternoon, uh, Mayor, committee members, committee staff, and the public. I'm Erwin Ching, Acting City Engineer, and with me to present this item are the senior engineers of the engineering division. In the last meeting, uh, we heard suggestions on how to improve uh, the format of our updates. Uh, however, uh, to close and to be consistent with the prior updates, uh, we will keep with the same format. Uh, in the future though, uh, we will change the updates so that we can provide more information as requested. As with the prior updates, an overview of various projects uh, within the districts will be provided. It ranges from street pavement projects to building improvement projects uh, also housing projects and other agency projects within the city limits. So the focus of the presentation today will be on districts five and six. Um, like the previous presentations, we will uh, provide a key map showing this, the type of street maintenance work as well as overlay uh, that is happening within those districts. Without further ado, uh, we are pleased to present to you the project updates in districts five and six. Good evening. Um, for district five for annual street overlay rehab 1921 phase one and two. Um, Phase one included Pleasant Way, which um, had AB stabilized base layer, um, as well as a new AC surfacing. 
that was one street where we did use um, the uh, glass grid is what it's called. It's the what you referred to that you saw used on um, Davis and East 14th Street. Um, we that street is extremely it was extremely old, um, had a very thin layer of asphalt when we went in. Um, the base material, we were going to put pavement on top of native material. It just I'm sorry, can you remind me the street? Pleasant way. Excellent. It's uh or five blocks north, parallel to San Leandro Boulevard. Okay. Um and so uh, we kind of rerouted there and and added that glass grid to kind of hold the pavement together on that street. We did have some shallow utilities, we did have some East Bay mud leaks that occurred, which made Treating with cement, impossible, um, certainly at that late stage when the street was already, um, the old pavement section was already removed. Um, phase two is going to include um, the paving of Bancroft Avenue between Lee and Sybil. Um, it's also going to include uh, video vehicle detection at the four signals along that stretch, um, as well as um, some underground improvements to a storm drain um, between Lee and Callan. That should be on. So oh, thank you, Nicole. Uh, good good evening, uh, Mayor, uh, Council Vice 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 Mayor, Council Member, uh, members of the public. So continue where Nicole stopped on a budget update for District Number Five. Uh, I just wanted to point out that the that the Arnold Street overlay, nineteen twenty one that uh, so far we've constructed 4.5 lane miles of that project and the remaining 7.5 lane miles for a total of 12 lane miles will be completed, uh, as Nicole pointed out. And for honestly paving, 21, 23, uh, it's a total of 32.6 lane miles. Uh, that project is in construction right now and temporarily we've stopped construction because of the weather and it's expected to be completed in fall of 2024. Arnold Street ceiling 24 in maintenance area one. Um, it's currently in design. Design will be completed spring of 2024 and construction will be com completed fall of 2024. Uh, East 14th Street, Edison Lighting, East 14th Street to Durant, um, East 14th Durant Dutton is currently in design, and design will be completed um, in spring 2024. I'm just trying to point out here um, what you have up there shows all of 2024. I was uh, thinking about the construction completion of construction, but the actual design 
completion will be in the spring of 2024. Uh, Memorial Park will officially start construction uh, spring of next year. Contract has been awarded and it's expected to be completed in summer of 2025. MacArthur Roundabout is in, currently in design and design is, uh, is uh, expected to be completed in summer of 2024 and construction sometime in 2025. <clears throat> Thanks, Austin. I'm going to give a highlight on two projects uh, within Council District 5. So first one is Central Callan, which you know is uh, 196 uh, unit apartment complex that's mixed use. Um, they're currently in construction and they are, I did check with the GC there. So he's, he gave me kind of an update on what they're doing on site related to the building. So I won't speak on the details of it because that's uh, the building department, but <clears throat> they are on the third floor doing a bunch of wood framework and they look to be done with most of the on site work by the end of next year. So December 2024. And then um, a few months before that, they should be finishing up all the off-site work. So that's going to be anything from updating the sidewalks, restoring different parts of the pavement, doing the landscaping along uh, Callan, Chamalia, and East 14. So they do currently have a Caltrans permit that they're working with uh, them on to keep, uh, keep that area safe for the pedestrians. And then... Second project, um, as you've heard before, uh, in the last couple months, Caltrans is doing a large paving and curb ramp project. They have finished most of their curb ramps. They're currently adjusting some of them where they either found non-compliance or um, you know, areas where they just need to adjust them. So you'll see this week and the last couple of weeks and the next few weeks, you'll see truck out on the corner uh, working maybe a segment of the concrete, whether they've had to remove it and then replace it. So you'll see some of that. Uh, they are also looking to raise utilities, uh, manholes, uh, other structures. Some of those are our city structures. Some of them will be other utility structures. So currently working with them <clears throat> on that agreement, as well as uh, they provided us number of uh, manholes that we that they will be raising and putting the concrete collar and all that stuff along East 14th and Davis. So and then right after that, or probably in conjunction, they'll be doing some striping. So we've been really pushing on them to get their striping done sooner rather than later, especially with the wet weather and then just the safety of the public. And so we've been working with them to get that done. And and the plan is for them to do that mid-December to the close to the end of December. We'll be doing that. That concludes my two highlights. Okay. Um, and here is the pavement maintenance map uh, showing that uh, in District 5, majority of the work is uh, Cape Seal and Mill and Fill. For District 6, uh, these are the projects Project updates. District six um, included the installation of um, RRB, 
RFB rapid rectangular flash beacon at the intersection of Williams and Joyce. It also included a paving of a thickened section at Aurora, um, deep lift basically between Williams and Marina. And then uh, the same uh, deep lift at Marina Court um, between West Avenue 130th and its a court. So. And then on phase two, due to the presence of shallow, shallow utilities, West Avenue 130th between Neptune and Aurora will receive CTB treatment to stabilize the base um, and new, a new asphalt surface. Um, we pulled that from phase one uh, to work with utilities to get some uh, utilities lowered there to make CTB feasible. Um, fairway Drive. Class four bike lanes has been awarded an OBAG cycle three grant from Alameda County Transportation Commission and will include the addition of class four bike lanes between Doolittle and Merced. And finally, Stephen Taylor Sanctity of Life Pavilion will be located on the southern end of Marina Park near the amphitheater and includes seat walls facing the amphitheater, a sensory labyrinth, pedestrian paths, signage informing the public of Stephen Taylor and the intent of this area of the park, which is to be an area of reflection meditation. The project is currently in design and expected to be in construction in the spring of 2024. Thank you, Nicole. The total landmarks we are looking at constructing between the, Nicole, the project 19, uh, an overlay in 19, one and uh, Trisilin, one twenty-three. We're looking at seventy point six land miles by the end of fall, and that doesn't include work in the maintenance area number one uh, in district number five. So these projects, like I said, they're in construction, and uh, construction is expected to be completed in fall twenty twenty-four. Um, shoreline fiber optics. Um, Marina route is Marina, uh, Monarch Bay. I mean, sorry, Monarch Bay Drive, Berlin to Weeks. I think I calculated about 3.5 miles, 3.7 miles of uh, fiber installation for that route. Uh, that project is currently in design. Design will be completed in spring. Uh, with construction expected to be completed in fall of 2024. Shoreline Park. Uh, the project is currently at schemat schematic uh, uh, level, a phase, currently in schematic phase. It's going through primarily right now with BC and BCDC and water board permitting for demolition as we have some structures uh, over the bay. As part of the project, and uh, that concludes my project update. Thanks, Austin. <clears throat> so I have three to highlight for District Six. Uh, the first one will be shoreline development, a single-family resident element. So we have uh, 206 single-family residents uh, placed on the east side of Monarch Bay Drive. There'll also be some reconstruction of Monarch Bay Drive, and we're currently working with the community development and their team 
to have the designer. So it's currently in design, uh, working on the Vestington and the track map and getting uh, that all put together and reviewed. And that will also include a fair amount of <clears throat> conditions and uh, in the DDA and the DA that they'll be having to take care of as part of the infrastructure to make uh, that project um, proved. Uh, the next one uh, is called St. Leandro Davis Street. So it's 2002 Davis Street. It's near um, south of Costco. It's just a TI, but I just kind of want to highlight this one just because it's a little different than the other ones that I've been presenting on recently. But a 63,000 square foot building that they're raising the roof, but it's still just a more of a tenant improvement. They'll be doing some updates as part of their parking area for circulation for this industrial building. Uh, I don't know who the tenant's going to be in the future. I'm sure that's something we could get from the community development later. Just wanted to <clears throat> point out that project. It is near Caltrans off of Davis Street. So it's a kind of a unique project with EPR nearby. Uh, and then the last one we did already touch on the Caltrans, but I just wanted to point out a few things that I left out from District 5, which was we will be doing their finishing up any detector loops that they haven't uh, cut in yet. And uh, this particular one in District 6 will be focused um, on Davis Street more than it is Davis and East 14th, and that both uh, streets have been told by Caltrans weather permitting. They're hoping to get everything complete by June of this of next year, so June 2024. That concludes uh, my highlights for District 6. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. For District 6, uh, you'll notice that majority of the pavement maintenance uh, work uh, will utilize a Cape and Seal, Cape Seal, and a couple of streets will receive mill and fill and will be reconstructed. That concludes our presentation. Uh, we're now ready for questions. Vice Mayor, please. Thank you all for your presentation. On slide three, I have a question about Memorial Park. Um, the construction on Memorial Park, is it is the construction turning it into an, a, a disability park, all disability park? Because um, I reckon Park Commissioner Jasmine, who's in a wheelchair, she's been advocating for that. So I was wondering if that has something to do with it. Memorial Park, yes, is uh, park is um, all, all ability. All ability park, okay, that's right. The first one in the city. So people will be able to get on the rides with, if they're in a wheelchair or something? Exactly. Have a ability, disability? Okay. Okay, my other question is on slide six. We bring up slide six. Okay, the protected bike lanes on Fairway Drive. What are class four protected bike lanes? Just to make sure. Is that with the barrier? Yes. A concrete barrier or a barrier of some sort. Is it just going to be a plain barrier or are there going to be like plants in there or anything? Or is it? It is not intended to be landscaped. Okay. Okay. That's all my questions. Thank you. Councilmember Simon, this would be a good time if if you have an interest. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, on your pavement maintenance diagrams or your maps, I don't see any slurry seal shown. And this kind of goes back to the last presentation about maintaining and taking care of our streets that we recently have, have uh, reconstructed or recently 
rehabbed. And I'm curious if if, it's, if for money is a reason why we're not slurry sealing. As a matter of fact, um, the um, the street ceiling, first of all, the paving, uh, street paving 21-23 uh, encompasses all aspects of road rehabilitation, street ceiling, capsule, and mill and overlay. And the other ones, the street ceiling uh, listed on both, in both districts, encompass of uh, of uh, street ceiling as all these are based on the uh, pavement condition index of the street. So we have street ceiling, capsule, and uh, in, in both of those. Okay, yeah, on the map, it shows green as slurry seal, green highlight, but there's no green highlight. Am I, am I missing, not understanding the map? No, that, that is correct. Councilmember Simon, so for this district, uh, only Cape Seal, Mill and Fill, and Reconstruction uh, were used. Right, but is it because we don't have the money to slurry seal streets that really need it, and we're letting them degrade beyond the seven, five or seven year recommendation? I'm just trying to understand: are, are we, are we um, not following our recommended maintenance for these streets by not slurry sealing? Fund, funding is a, a factor. Um, the street ceiling project that we have uh, considers the entire city. Um, if you recall the uh, districts uh, that was presented earlier uh, with with streets that uh, only require slurry seal uh, was focused on those areas. Uh, in this area, based on the pavement condition index, uh, it was determined that Cape Seal would be uh, the most appropriate application to maintain the street uh, street uh, quality. Okay, so it's not, not wasn't required the slurry seal. Correct, not at this cycle. Not this cycle, okay, got it. All right, and then there was one on East 14th pedestrian lighting. I think I kind of missed that. Can you describe what that project is or, or remind me again? Yes, the, <clears throat> the project of uh, fourteen pedestrian lighting um, is a project that installs um, street lights that focus on uh, pedestrian on the sidewalk, provide um, uh, safety and uh, um, safety for pedestrians. But right now we have enough lights on the street, so this this lighting focuses on. Uh, providing lights for the pedestrians who use that corridor. Is that a, is that a county project since county owns East Fourteenth Street? Yeah, Caltrans owns East Fourteenth Street, so that project uh, is going through an encroachment permit from Caltrans. So we've been in discussion with Caltrans. That's why it's taking so long to get that project through. Uh, right now, we've arrived at a very comfortable position with Caltrans, and that's why we're looking to complete our design uh, by spring of 2024. So is it designed by Caltrans consultant, or is it designed by our staff or our city consultant? Who's who's physically doing the designing? 
city owns the project. City uh, city's consultant is doing the design for the city, and we are getting permitted by Caltrans. If I'm not mistaken, uh, this project is part of a downtown beautification effort. Is that right? Okay. Well, it's good good to hear for the pedestrian lighting safety. And the uh, Stephen Taylor Sanctity of Life Park, um, just to make some comments on that one, and I've had some discussions internally here, but just wanted to share those. I, I am interested in, I know we can't afford power now, I, I understand that, but putting in utilities for future power, excuse me, utilities, I'm sorry, putting in the conduits now uh, to allow for future power. And then <clears throat> future, this is like a future project, the park, the picnic area adjacent to the Stephen Taylor Sanctity of Life Park, rehabilitating that for future. So this will come up, my understand, in a future CIP discussion or prior, prioritization discussion. Those are two elements I'm interested in um, getting in conduits and up. Conduits now for this project, excuse me. Conduits now for this project going forward. And then future project looking at uh, rehabbing that park, excuse me, the picnic area that is adjacent to the, the pavilion and then adjacent to the Bay Trail, which I understand would require BCDC. And my last comment, just overall is shoreline development, very excited and interested in that coming up both the single family residents in the park. And I'm hoping at some point that that this group or this committee could see some plans or concepts as we're progressing in design and not to not wait too long until it moves forward, but you know, as things are progressing to have some view of, of what's occurring. So I know there's a lot of interest in the community on that and would like to be um, keep this community involved in viewing the design like actual plans, seeing what they're looking like. Thank you. Okay, so I'd like to run a little bit with Council Member Simon's first question around um, slurry seal. So I, and maybe I'll start with just an open-ended question. Slurry seal would be um, our ideal application or roads that are at a high PCI as part of regular maintenance every five years. Is that a fair assumption? Okay. And so I'm looking at the prior presentation, the one we did about 30 minutes ago. I'm looking at, at the map. And if I'm reading the color scheme right, and I could be misreading, but I'm looking at like West 135th, 136th. There's a number of those that are blue. Blue. read them as blue, which would be, you know, in the 81 to 100 range. Right. And so going back to the discussion of if we had money, is it fair to assume that those would be high priority every five years slurry seal? Um, or correct. You know, uh, there. so the slurry seal, so the blue line is basically a new street, uh, and then uh, as it becomes, uh, the PCI becomes lower and becomes a green line, then it becomes a candidate for, for slurry seal. And when you apply the slurry, it extends the life of the street. 
and the, you are correct. So that is uh, the the there's a uh, the best uh, money that we can spend to extend the life of, of the street so that it doesn't fall into the poor category or very poor categories. And so again, just trying to think through translating these colors into actions. Um, blue is don't touch. Correct. Green is five-year rotating plan of slurry seal. Um, it'll be, for San Leandro, I believe it's five to seven years. Well, practice yeah. versus... Yeah. <laughs> well, currently, we have a, a stated goal of seven, but it's oftentimes 10 or 12. 12 10 or 12, correct. But the best practice, a better practice would be five. That's what I think I heard. I think I'm getting some head nods over there. So we'll we'll, we'll push in that direction. We'll see if we can get there. And then um, when I get to a 50 to 64, is that a cape seal? Correct. It could be a cape seal. Um, it could be a thin overlay. Uh, those are uh, a couple of options that we can use. Okay. So I think being able to translate this map into actions would be really helpful. So as we're we're laying out, because then we can look for consistency of our our future plan aligns with with what we have listed there. Okay, so thank you for, uh, for helping me work through that. Um, another big picture question: When I look at these projects and I look at timelines mm -hmm. and changing timelines and the like, can can the team help me understand a little bit? And obviously, I direct it to you, and then we can go wherever. Uh, help me understand the role that rain plays in these projects. Uh, when I travel in some parts of the country, it seems like they're doing work all year long. In some places, if it's you know anywhere outside of the three-month paving window, nothing gets done. So I don't know where we are in California and what that means for us, but helping me understand that would be useful. Okay. Typically, um, on uh, we've had different types of uh, cycles in our years uh, in terms of weather conditions. What we try to do is to push our project as further into this weather as we can until we start getting the first sign of rainfall and we stop. So we've had situations where we went into December on um, very dry winters. So we try to push it as far as we can. But we want to make sure that we're giving we're getting the right products. So if the weather or the rain is going to impact the, the, the quality of what we get, then we have to stop. And so just for the sake of argument, suppose that it's February and the long range forecast says no rain for four weeks. And you know, it's been a dry winter would we do paving in February or is the temperature too cold, for example? Yes, we would, um, especially if it's, if it's paving. Again, there's a, there's a requirement that to pave, you have to have uh, 50 degree weather and increasing. So we cannot pave below 50 degrees. So we try to observe those um, requirements, to make sure we get the right products. Okay. So a couple of things to, to add to that. Uh, with colder weather, the slurry uh, cures longer. Uh, and because the, the slurry seal 
There's slurry seal, there's micro sealing. The slurry seal itself, uh, the curing is activated by heat. So in the cold weather, it, it's not advisable to do slurry seal. In addition to that, uh, sometime towards the end of November, uh, the, the batching plants stop producing uh, slurry, slurry seal. So uh, because of the cold weather. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, the contractors are, are also uh, are tied to a strict schedule because if there's no supply, then they cannot work. So just one last piece there. When I think of this stretch of Dutton, leaving Bancroft Middle School, heading to the library, this, this line that I'm talking about. So I, if that were to be milled out, what, what I'm hearing is that we might not be able to pave it, so we would never mill it and make it smooth until March or April or something like that. Or is that my misunderstanding that? That would be the safe thing to do because we don't want to allow water to uh, rainfall to the damage. Okay, thank you. That's that's very useful background. Um, I think I heard the answer to this, but the the dates, estimated completion dates, that's when it's done, 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 as opposed to that's the end of design. So I'm going to take the MacArthur roundabout, for example. It says that it's in design phase. It's got a spring 2025 completion date. That is correct. So uh, based on, on, on record, we want to state that uh, the completion of the design will be in spring 2024. Right. Thank you very much. And when we say completion, I'm assuming that means everybody that needs to sign off has signed off, or is that literally, I've got a blueprint? Exactly. Correct. Yes, yes correct. It's, the design part is finished, finished, finished. Finished, finished. And then we can go out to bid. Go out to bid, perfect, thank you. Um, one comment on that roundabout in particular, I continue to believe having driven down that exit ramp, that is a long exit ramp off of 580. It is longer than some of the other exit ramps off of 580 that end in stoplights or end in some sort of meaningful yield. And so I would continue to, I would encourage us to continue pushing on Caltrans to allow us to, to slow the traffic because what I think would be unfortunate to see is cars speeding off of the highway, essentially bumping up on the curb of the roundabout and still maintaining, you know, 50 miles an hour through the roundabout and other accidents because people don't expect cars to come that quickly. So just a, a, a safety consideration. I don't, for District 5, I don't see any reference to the Haas Street pedestrian bridge. I don't know if you'd like to say anything about that or if we'd like to have a discussion on that later. So I'll start with city manager, the Haas Street pedestrian bridge. It's it's not on here. Would you like to revisit that later or what would you like to do with that? You asking me why it's not on here? I just, do we Do we have information about it? And if so, it'd be great to hear an update. Sure. So uh, a quick answer to why we didn't list it on this table. Um, we generally had, th these projects are the, the larger CIP projects. And so we classified the Kerry Haas bridge as um, it didn't require an engineer for a design. 
So it's generally a, what we considered a demolition and cleanup project um, led by our assistant public works director. So it's a, a project in a different division of the department. Um, so the latest, and I, I presented this information at the recent town hall meeting that we um, are pleased to report that we received all the agreements and the um, contracts necessary to start the cleanup. Uh, we were projected to start earlier this week, which was Monday. We saw a 10-day uh, window of no rain. Unfortunately, we started seeing uh, wet weather coming in on Wednesday, which is today, which postponed our start date. So congratulations on getting those permits. The um, to, to get the bridge onto the CIP will come out of the priority work session or just help so me understand okay. that part. So the CIP program comes to you around the same time as the priority work session, but it's a, it's a different process. So the staff brings the full capital improvement program to the council. They propose funding based on council priorities. And then the council has a chance to uh, give feedback and make adjustments to that program and staff's recommendations. So you should expect our capital improvement program to come in March, April. Is that about our? We'll parallel the budget um, okay. to the budget process. So that will be the time that you would discuss new projects or shifting funding from one project to another. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, and this is another just general comment. You know, we've talked about flock cameras and other types of cameras. And uh, I've seen a number of cities, especially coming out of League of Cities, where those cameras are integrated into traffic lights. I don't know if we have that opportunity here with the vehicle sensing cameras that we're looking to install. If for a very small incremental fee, since we're already going to be on the cross arm installing a camera, if that camera could be integrated or connected into our public safety network. So I would just ask that we consider that if we're already doing the work, be connecting, wiring, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I think uh, to Council Member Ballou's district, I asked the question about the, the 130s. The shoreline fiber optics, is this uh, the city's fiber optic loop owned by the city? Correct. Thank you. Um, shoreline Park, I've received, I think, one or two emails, and I'm, I don't know if I forwarded them to you, so I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, there's been some question about the torpedo I think it's a Navy, community Navy monument, perhaps to lost mariners sort of thing out at the end. Um, and I think there was a, a little bit of a question from one or two people in the community about, hey, so what's happening that to that place? Does it still have access? I've seen that it's been defaced. We went for a walk out there. I'm just curious. And I know it's super specific and we can talk about it later uh, if, if there's no specific thoughts right now, and that's okay. I'm just, I want to plant the seed, but if you do have thoughts, feel free to share them. Nothing right now. Okay. But if you can just 
come back on that in particular because it is a memorial monument sort of thing that's sitting out there subject to vandalism right now. Um, the last question that I've got around District 6, there's been a lot of interest, I think a lot of patience, and kind of, I know that City Manager, you've done work on the Neptune Drive project and working with the Alameda Flood Control. And it's a little bit unclear at times to me what part is our part, if, you know, building the seawall component piece of that as opposed to what they're doing along the, the levee and changing heights. So to the extent that we can have uh, an update, either now if you just happen to have it off your top of your head, but just going forward, because I know that I've had a number of residents specifically talk about that issue and concern. Um, and because it has been an extended period of time on the order, maybe six years now, I think there's continued interest, continued uh, excitement about the possibility. I, I, the last recollection that I heard was FEMA had in concept agreed to provide some funding, but I don't know that we ever received a letter or, or a check as the case may be. So those are all my questions. Uh, Council Member Simon, I do see you, so I'm going to come back to you, please. Yes, thank you. On District 6, with the winter coming up and the flood control problems we had in the manor, and I know they braced the canal. However, that canal runs down to the bay, which is looks like the border is District 6, 6 here. Flood control, Alameda County, and replacing that large tide gate tide gates that keep the water from backing up that causes flooding over the canal. Do we have any updates or progress in that? Or, or are we tracking that project in our district six project list? So just to just to clarify, I think you're asking specifically about the tidal gates that I think you and I right. might have visited. Yes. Yeah, so I think that was essentially part of my question too. And I think we'll get an update on that. Oh, okay. Yes. I believe that, uh, but that's been budgeted with the Heron Bay assessment. No, it's not. No, that's separate. This is like a huge 10, I don't know, $15 million job. Yeah. It's, 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 it's extra complicated because the longer that it's waited, the cost is going up. And in Alameda County, Alameda County Flood Control through the supervisor's office and Public Works has had some discussions with us about, well, maybe they no longer have enough budget. And it's a complicated situation, but it's probably one that's uh, important enough that it's time to come back to the public and just share kind of what the status of that is. Okay. And the, next, the last one is there's a blue building. I believe it's a city-owned building near the corner of Monarch Bay Drive and Neptune Drive and Marina Boulevard, kind of that intersection there. It's very dilapidated and run down. When will that building be either demolished or or something done with it? What part, what project is that involved with? Councilmember Simon, um, that was actually on my to-do list to verify today, uh, Fran and I uh, did a drive-by uh, on Marina. Um, it is uh, what we call the Comcast building or AT&T building. 
Um, I don't believe it is on our city property for us to demolish, but it is part of the shoreline development to be demolished. And that's um, part of the footprint for the single family homes. Um, but I will verify whether it is ours or not, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not, but I will verify. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's a fairly large building. It looks like it was some, like an old city building at some point. I could be wrong, but it's it's fairly large, but it is very run down. Thank you for the update on that one, once you get it. Okay, so at this point in time, I will take public comment if there's any on this item. No public comment. After a uh, thorough and complete discussion, well, let's move to item number four, final committee member comments. Okay, seeing none at this point, we will adjourn our meeting and it's 546. Thank you very much for some excellent discussion.